0: Yeah, y'all going to have to uh, bear with me on my accent. I hear I got one up here, and uh, so we'll, we'll do the best we can. Um, but if y'all don't mind, I would like to uh, pray first for myself as, all, as well as for y'all. So, Father, I give you praise today, God. I thank you that it's a good day. And I thank you that you haven't left us, you haven't forsaken us, you haven't left us to our own devices. But God, you're faithful to be there with us. You're faithful to pursue us, God. You're you're faithful to come after us in spite of our sins, in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of anything we may have done in life, God, that You're faithful to be there with us and to forgive us and empower us to move forward. So I thank You for who You are. I thank You for Your Word, that Your Word is truth. And I pray that anything said from me will not be of me. It will be of Your Holy Spirit, God. Your Word is truth. And I ask that your spirit affect the hearts in here today, God, that we can have transformation that's lasting. I appreciate you and I love you and it's in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. 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 Um, they did say it, I am from Morgan County, just Morgan County, Georgia. So, little, little, good little ways away. So I don't think that's coincidence by any means or any stretch of the imagination. I'm done believing in coincidences. Um, God has a way of working things out. But I am, I'm 25 years old And um, I, it's been about four years since I've been in this sanctuary I was here not too, about four years ago Nicolette was here as well with us And we were picking a guitar up here And, and playing some music And uh, did a service with Dream Life back in the day So um, I'm honored that in spite of my shortcomings God has br- brings things full circle And uh, that's not just something He does in my life That's part of His character That's part of who God is that God has a way of fixing the bad for His glory. Don't we know that the Scripture says that, I, that, that all things work together for good for those who love Him? And that's, that's not something the world can claim. It's very hard in spite of church or anywhere else to stand up and be a proud drug addict. It's very hard anywhere you go in life to take your failures and broadcast them on a stage for a a good purpose. Nowhere else in in, in life can you really do that, right? But because of the grace of God, because of the work He did on the cross, we can stand bold in our weakness, right? We learn that at our weakest points, He's the greatest. And, And it's a beautiful thing. But only what we believe in here through Christ can we claim those things. And... it's funny because I told Pastor Jamie what I had in mind about talking about. And he says this is something he talks to you all about pretty regularly. He said it would just be nice to have a little confirmation on the subject. And you'll learn something about me. Usually when I preach or I write down stuff, I write a lot in my my notebook and stuff. It's always something that I'm having to live through. It's always something that I'm having to to go through. And, And the greatest sermons are usually that. They're not usually ones that... Come from another book. It's usually the ones that are from yourselves, right? From the struggles you go through. That's why I believe the Bible says that we are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. Because the one thing the world can never take from you is your experience. It's truth that cannot be argued. It's truth that cannot be unconvinced. You lived it, therefore you own that truth. That is your testimony. That is some struggles you had to go through. There were some battles you had to fight through with the Lord. There were some heartaches and some hardships and there were things that took place in your life that showed you, undoubtedly, who God is. Because I've struggled with God and because I have fought with God for so long, no man can convince me that God is not who God says He is. Right? So it's the hard times that produce the strength to stand on. It's the hard times that produce those things. Um, I, this is tough because this topic, as I was reading it, got, I started writing down more and more Scripture. I almost got to the point where I wasn't even going to say anything. We'll just open our Bibles and we'll just read through this because Paul does a pretty good job in the Bible of preaching by himself. He doesn't really need our help in a lot of those areas. And so the topic I want to talk to about today is grace. Because this is something we lack. We, we, we lack the full understanding of what it is. We've, given, we've thought of grace as a permission to move on in life no matter how we live, right? No matter what happens in our life from here on out, God, is, God, we got, God has given us grace, which is true. But it's not a permission to sin. It's not a permission to stay where you are. It's not, a position, it's not a permission to live the same life that you were living before you found grace. In fact, I'll be bold enough to say that grace is the empowerment... Grace is the ability God gives us to move forward outside of that that life, right? So we hear grace is God's unmerited favor towards us, which is true. It's a gift that we did nothing to earn. It's a gift we did nothing to deserve, which is absolutely correct. But it is not just a gift to stay stagnant. Grace is the thing that propels us forward in relationship with Christ. So that when you see Micah next week, you don't see the same Micah you saw this week. That grace has allowed him to move forward in his relationship with Christ and become a better man. That is a process in the Bible, you'll see a word called sanctification. Sanctification is the process of becoming more like Christ. And that is only possible through grace. Um, I am going to read a chunk of scripture here. And the the funny thing is, I could read the chapters before it, I could read the chapters after it. So the hardest part about me preparing for this was picking which to read. Because Paul is very adamant on this topic. Um, Paul is very serious on this topic. He says it over and over. From what I can tell, I have found about 24 chapters in Paul's writings, which is two-thirds of the New Testament, that deal specifically with the law and grace. So it must be something pretty serious if we believe how true this book is. And so if, if I'd like to look at it a little bit. We're going to start in Romans chapter 7, and I'm not going to read the full thing, thank the Lord. Um, I'm going to read a good chunk of it, and I will probably end up reading some other parts of Romans as well. I'm reading out of the ESV, um, which is the translation I have uh, switched to about three or four years ago. The NASB, if you hear me quote scripture up here, it will be out of the NASB, um, which I believe your pastor uses that as well. I would also like to, before we start, I'd like to honor your pastor. Um, that's, a, that's a great man. Um, a lot of times we can say that he's a great pastor, and, and I'm sure, and I know he is, but even outside of the pulpit, that is a good man. That is a man who is true to His Word. That is a man who is compassionate. That is a man who is probably the reason a lot of us are sitting in this room. Uh, He is the reason a lot of us are where we are today in life. So never take it for granted, your pastor and his sacrifices, and and his wife as well. They do more for the community and us broken, jacked up, messed up folks than most people do. And I want to take that time to honor him and, and, and to extend that invitation for y'all outside of here to just make sure your pastor feels honored because he makes great sacrifices. And he is a testament of what God's compassion is. And he is a testament of what God's sacrifice is. So never let that go. Never forget that. Never take, adva- never take that for advantage because not everybody has one quite like y'all do. Um, and so I want to bless him for that. So I thank you, Father. Uh, Let's start in Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from law of marriage. See, accordingly she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Paul brings it full circle here. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work and our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin." For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity, through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. I'll pause there for a little moment, for a moment. Yeah we'll just we'll dig into that a little bit. There's a lot of things being mentioned in this chunk of Scripture. And so, for some of us who don't maybe have a full understanding of of, of what is Paul is saying here, he's comparing, he, he's, he's talking to people who understand the law of God, which is called the Mosaic Law, which is the law of Moses, which is um, in Exodus chapter 20 and on through there, God gives a set of rules and commandments. It's not just the Ten. I wish it was. That would make life a lot easier for them. We see the Ten and we know the Ten Commandments. But there's roughly almost 800 other rules in other laws. Um, So the Mosaic law was given to give us a realization of our sin. The Bible says also in the book of Romans, it says that sin entered the world through Adam, which we know, right? But sin, the Bible says, cannot be counted where there is no law. So for instance, when, when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, He says He gave you every tree which was good for fruit um, and, and good to eat. And you can eat of any tree you want. But it says the Lord commanded Adam, one thing, do not eat of the, the tree of knowledge and good and evil. So see, there, there's a commandment. It's a law. So sin entered when Adam broke the law. Now, we go from Adam all the way to, to we go from Adam through Abraham and then into Moses, and there was no written law. But was sin still effective? Absolutely. What we have to realize is sin is a real thing. But if sin was effective. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. So here's what happens. If, if I go, to, and I use this analogy not long in class, not long ago in class, but if I go to Germany, I can find a road there who has no speed limit. If I want to get the fastest, and that's called the Autobahn. If I want to get the fastest car I can find, and I want to go as fast as I want, I can do that, right? I can go 200 miles an hour in a car and not be breaking the law. But what are the consequences for me wrecking a car at 200 miles an hour? See, sin, sin's effects on our life still have consequences, right? And those of us who have been addicts, if even if it was never bad to do drugs... 30 years of drug addiction still has some effects on your body, right? So there are there are effects of sin. But Moses came and gave a law. God gave a law through Moses. And that law made us aware of our sin. It put the sin into perspective, right? So Paul said there, as we read in Romans chapter 7, that if the Lord had not said, do not covet, I wouldn't even really know that I was coveting. Now, would coveting have an effect on me? Absolutely. Would adultery have an effect on me? Absolutely. Right? So, if, I, if I'm having adultery and I get chased out of the house with a double-barrel shotgun, and I get shot, I know that there's some right and wrong there. But it was not made aware to them that it was illegal until it was put on paper. See, for the Old Testament, their ability to fulfill the law was impossible. I could never do it. I couldn't live a life good enough. I could never live a life that would completely fulfill the law. And that was considered righteousness if that was possible. So the Bible says that your righteousness is as filthy rags. It was impossible for any man to live the life not breaking the law. Right? So what what God did was He made made us aware of the sin. Right? And to show us that we were completely incapable on our own by ourselves to fulfill the law, to live a good life. It was tough. It was hard to do all those things. Through the law comes the true knowledge of sin. Through the law comes the true knowledge of sin. In other words, I like to call this the consciousness of sin. The consciousness of sin. That we are aware of our sin, right? Before I told you that adultery was illegal, the effect would not be in the heart and the mind. Before I told you that murder was illegal, the effect would not be in the heart and the mind. Right? When we do something bad, those of us who are Christian, which I believe all of us pretty much are, if so, we're in the right room. But what I believe is if If I had committed murder, it would not have affected my heart, my sin conscience, right? So we know that when we do something bad, we feel bad about it. That's the Holy Spirit, the spirit of conviction. We know that we don't feel at ease with what had happened. Because the law says not to do it. The law gave us a perspective of what sin was. It ultimately, it showed our need for salvation. It showed our need to live this life by ourselves. It it showed our need to have help living this life. It showed our need to have someone come and to someone to save us. Um, Romans chapter 5, verses 15 says that the gift of grace overwhelmed the fall of man. The gift of grace overwhelmed the fall of man. See, Adam's one trespass brought condemnation into all through sin, through transgression. Sin and transgression are a little bit different. Sin is the act. Transgression is breaking the law. To trespass is to going against the law. So if I want to go fishing on somebody's property, it's probably a sin knowing that it's not my property to go fishing, right? But if they got that sign that's black with orange letters that says no trespassing... I have broken the law because the law was posted. Because the commandment was posted on the fence. So if I jump the fence with the no trespassing sign there, I have done it conscious of the law, and now I have transgressed the law. I have transgressed it. Um, through transgression. Jesus brought justification to all. He justified us. And I'm going to try to dig in this without going too far into it. Um, Through just the justification of Christ was possible because of grace. Now, we talked about grace is something that we don't deserve, something that we get, right? I didn't do a good job of living my life before Jesus found me. And I'm still in the process of doing a better job. And that's a process that never ends. Right? But it's not a process to which I have to stay stagnant. I have to stay still. So Jesus came, and the Bible the the Bible says they asked him, they said, So did you come to do away with the law and the prophets? And Jesus looks at him and Jesus says, Uh uh, absolutely not. I came to fulfill. I came to fulfil it. Meaning, I came to accomplish what you could not do in the flesh, which I had no ability of doing. Jesus came to live the life of fulfilling the law, of walking without sin. Though tempted, He did not sin. Jesus lived a blameless life according to the law of God. Jesus did not sin. And so because of that, Jesus became the perfect sacrifice for our sins. The ultimate sacrifice once and for all. Finished. Done. Finito. He has made it work. So what's always cool is if you want to look at pictures in the Old Testament or look at things in the Old Testament of how God has planned this out for a very long time. The, the Ten Commandments were originally written by the hand of God. Moses got ticked off and he threw them and he broke them. There was another set of commandments that were written. And the placement of those commandments were put in what, underneath what was called the mercy seat. So even from the beginning of the, the law, even from the beginning of the Mosaic law, the law was covered under the blood. Now, that blood that had to take place on the Ark of the Covenant well, had to happen every year, had to happen over and over because it was not enough. To quench death. The Bible says that, that mercy triumphs over judgment. I believe that was God's plan all along. Not to leave us to ourselves. And not to not have a relationship with us. And not to be distant from us. And not to be far from us. He wanted to dwell with us. His perfect idea was of creation was living with Him in fellowship in the garden. Right? To walk with Him and to talk with Him. It wasn't our sin that separated God from us. It was our sin that separated us from God. It was our sin that we... that the, What we talk about, that consciousness of sin. That idea of right and wrong that lives in us kept us away from what we thought was holy. It's the same thing in our lives that keep us away from our friends and our family when we start messing up. It's the same things in our life that makes us walk back out the church doors when we're having a hard time in our lives, when we're struggling. It's that idea of messing up in our mind that keeps us away from God. In fact, when Adam sinned, it was God who came looking for Adam. It wasn't Adam who went looking for God. God approached Adam in the midst of sin. Sin had entered the earth because Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so Adam comes, and I've told this with the guys a lot. I love this because God showed it. It's it's beautiful. But God comes and what does He say? He says, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Now, we know God is omnipotent and all-knowing and all these things, right? So do you really not think that God knew where Adam was? I don't think He was asking position. I think He was asking condition. Adam, where are you at right now? Adam, what's going on, man? Where are you in the midst of your sin? How are you, dude? Where are you? What has caused this thing to happen? And you notice the first thing when Adam and Eve eat, the first thing that enters enters into them is shame. They realize that they were naked. And they cover themselves. In other words, they hide themselves. They put their sin over here and cover it up. So that nobody else can see it. See, shame didn't exist before that. See, guilt and condemnation didn't exist before that. But it truly affected Adam and Eve. And because of Adam, the Bible says that it has affected us as well. That is called sin nature. And what a beautiful thing that you aren't having to live in the nature of sin anymore. The Bible says, do you not know that you are a new creation? You're brand new. That doesn't mean He gives you a new face. That doesn't mean He gives you a new pair of shoes and a new pair of clothes. That means He has set you free from the sin nature that dwells in you. Now, there's a difference between sinning and being a sinner. There's a difference between having, having a sin and being a sinner. A sinner lives in the nature of sin. A sinner has not been set free. I think for so long we have given grace as just to cover our sins. And I've come to this thought. Jesus didn't die to cover our sins. He died and washed them away. He didn't die to paint over them. He didn't die to put new paint on an old wall. He died to wash it away and build a new one. He gave you a new name. But the problem is we keep the old man in our mind so long that we feel we're always bound by him and we're in this constant struggle with sin. So in the Old Testament, the temple was built and the presence of God was placed in the center in a place called the Holy of Holies, right? So in the Holy of Holies, only one person one time a year could go to atone for sins. And then there was, a, there was an inner court and then there was an outer court and then there was stuff that went on behind outside of that. Right? And it was almost like a holiness level. Like, the holiest were in this inner part, the next holiest were here, the next holiest were here, and the next holiest is here, right? The funny thing is, we live our lives exactly like that. We live our lives with the thought that as soon as I get it right, then I can go into this part of the temple. Or as soon as I clean myself up a little bit and I stop doing this, I can go into this part of the temple. And then I'm stuck in this part of the temple. See, the book of Ezekiel has a very good picture of this and he says that he saw a river flowing from the temple of God and he saw at first he was ankle deep in the water. then he was knee deep and then waist deep and then so on until the water covered his head. Because we live like that. We don't think we have permission to dive in. We think that we have to get our feet wet first just to test the, 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 the level of the water. And so we stay out here until I start... When I get rid of cussing, I'm on, then, I can, then I can step in here, right? When I finally quit drinking, then I can get a little bit further, right? When I stop gossiping, then I can get a little bit further. Let me tell you something, that the work that happened on the cross allows you to stay seated in the most holy place. Ephesians says that you are seated in the heavenlies. Not that you have to work real hard and get rid of a whole bunch of stuff to get to the Holy of Holies. That you're positioned working from the inside out. And I think if you free your mind to understand that, if I free my mind to understand that I am living from a place of holiness and not to a place of holiness, then how will my walk truly look? How will I truly live my life? What will the words I say if I understand that I am seated with Christ in heavenly places? Not trying to find a chair. I'm seated. And with that, the Bible says in Ephesians that I'm an heir with Christ. See, you had two sons. You had two In the prodigal son, you had two sons. One son, although we blast him and we give him a bad name, that son knew what was his. He knew what was his. Yes, he messed it all up and he made a mockery of it. But did that change the father's heart? The other son was jealous when the other son came back and he was upset because the other son just stayed right there and sat on that church pew and did everything his father told him to do. But what do you think is more effective? If I take something I learn in here and I go out there and I run with it and mess it up, how much better will I learn? We live from a place of heirs. That we have been freely given all things under Christ. The work of the cross allowed Jesus to live in us. The Ark of the Covenant is now inside of us. The, The Ark of the Covenant is not now hidden in a temple made with hands. It is hidden in the hearts of man. And if you truly understand the presence of power and of relationship that that possesses, then you will never walk the same. The Bible says that Jesus was coming down to the river for John to baptize him, and it says that as he was getting baptized, it says the, the spirit in the form of a dove, descended upon him. A pastor named Bill Johnson talks about this, and I love it because it gives me a clear picture. The spirit came down and it descended upon him. If the Spirit was on each and every single one of you, like a bird on your shoulder, right? on a bird on your, how would you walk to make sure that bird didn 't fly away? Every step you took from there forward would be in mind of that bird on your shoulder. Everything you did, everywhere you moved, the situations you put yourself in, the places you were around would be in mind of that bird that lived on your, that was on your shoulder. You would think about it. You wouldn't want that bad boy to fly away, would you? Absolutely not. Right, but we get so complacent with this word called grace that it's okay. Oh, I messed up. Um, there's a pastor. Somebody gave me a, when I was a youth pastor years ago, and I, there's one guy that when I turn on like Christian TV, I'm not a big fan of watching. I'm not going to say anything bad about him, but his name's Mr. Osteen, and he's just not my favorite guy in the world to watch. But somebody gave me a T-shirt that had his face on it. And it said, sins? You mean whoopsie daisies? (laughs) Like, no big deal. For some reason, we think just because Jesus died that there's no more that, that we don't have consequences in this life for sin. That nothing's gonna happen. That Jesus forgave me. Absolutely He did. That don't mean you can't crash into a tree and blow up. Right? That doesn't mean that you can't go and contract a disease that you can't get rid of. See, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. It's a choice. So we talked about in class. We were teaching we've we've just gone through and we, and we we taught out at Genesis and we've worked our way just through the generic parts, just kind of an overview of Bible one oh one. And we get to this point in Deuteronomy and in the Book of Numbers where Moses and Joshua both make these statements, but they're very important statements. They're standing in front of some of the most hard, or some of the hardest battles that they're about to face. They're standing in front of the promised land at one point, and they're about to transition from the wilderness where they were kept and, and they Make these statements. Choose you this day whom you shall serve. Choose you this day, life or death. Choose life. Choose you this day whom you will serve eventually we 've got to come to a point in our lives where we look at what Jesus did and we accept what he has done on the cross, and we make a decision that i don 't know I will no longer live in the nature of sin. See Peter in second in, in Peter chapter one, Peter seems to be pretty confident that you don 't even have to live a life with corruption or evil or slander sayings or gossip anymore Now we feel like it 's impossible. And we say things like, oh, you are going. You know, it's not, it's not about perfection, it's about progress, which is true. But that minimizes the potential that you have. And you can live your whole life accepting the same man that was there before and just fighting with him. Or you can understand the fact that grace is the ability to free you from walking in the ways that you used to walk. I'm sure there's a lot of amazing saints that are buried out here, but the most potential in the world is out here as well. There's no more potential in any one area than a cemetery. See, potential is energy or motion that has not been accessed yet. It has not been put into full force. So potential is something that is inside of you that has not been released, that you haven't moved forward And the difference between us and out there is we have today to choose life or to choose death. You still got the decision that you don't have to be bound by sin. See, the Bible says in John chapter 1 that Jesus came being full of grace and truth. He was full of it. How did Jesus live a blameless life? How did Jesus walk forward? How did Jesus do this? By the power of the Holy Spirit, yes. But being full of grace and truth. We say things like, God's not speaking to me. I don't know how to do it anymore. I I can't hear the voice of God. Are you reading your Bible? That's the first question. He gave us a 66 book love letter. And we want to say He's not speaking to us, but we ain't picked the bad boy up in three weeks. We, God created us. Some of the best miracles that Christ and and God has ever done through creation was making you. There's been masters of medicine and healing and inventions and things that have perspired from the mind of man because God made man and man chose to take what God had put in him and release it. Tim Craft says that God didn't make that church pew, but God made, made the wood and He made a man with the idea or the concept or ability to carve that out. Now, as long as I say I've never been a good carpenter, or I've messed up this project and I've messed up this project, so therefore I'm going to mess up that project, you give, your permis- you give yourself permission to stay still. You give yourself permission to stay stagnant. Because you keep in mind that old sin nature. You keep in mind what you used to do. But you're a new creation. You don't have to live like that anymore. The law was overwhelmed by the grace of Christ. See, He he didn't say it's almost finished when He hung on the cross. He said it is finished at the blood of Christ, the perfect Lamb of God came to this earth and lived a blameless life before both man and God and hung on a tree. The Bible says in Deuteronomy that any man who hangeth upon a tree is cursed, that Christ took on our sins, not just for us to go to heaven. I wish it was that beautiful. Sounds nice. That you came to an altar one day and you got down on your knees and you said a little prayer and you were going to heaven and it's all good from there on out. The problem with that is, is salvation is the beginning. The Red Sea was only the beginning to obtaining the promised land. He'll set you free in a moment. But you can live in hell forever. You've got to make a choice. You've got to make a decision to move forward to allow grace to no longer be just something that forgives your sin or permission to mess up. Grace. You have to get in your mind that the grace of God, the free gift of God from God is for you to move outside of your sin. 1 Peter says that you are called to be holy. So be holy. If you tell yourself and you convince yourself, let yourself know. The Bible says sometimes you've got to build up your own faith. Let yourself know. You don't have to be like this anymore. That You have the ability to be good. Ephesians chapter 3 says that we are the workmanship of God. He created you to be good. So be good. And when you're not good, don't stay in it. Move forward. I say this all the time. It's one of my favorite quotes. Thomas Edison goes to the patent office with his 738th patent. All of them have failed. And the patent clerk looks at Thomas Edison and she says, are you really here? You have have failed 738 times. And he says to her, I have not failed 738 times. I have found 738 times how not to make a light bulb. See, that sticks with me. Because your attitude and and your relationship with Christ is what will propel you forward out of your mistakes. Micah said it the other night, when you fall, fall forward. That's all it is. But he who goes on sinning willfully, there is no sacrifice for sins, Hebrews chapter 10 says. There is no more sacrifice for sins. I don't care how hard you keep looking out there, He did it once on the cross forever. And now you have permission through grace to move forward. He did it once on the cross forever. Forever. You're not going to get re by coming back to the altar. What you can do, though, is you can activate the grace of God in your life to move forward. You can activate the forgiveness in your life, not to just be sorry, but to move forward, to take a repentance stance, to take a 180 and walk backwards out of it. We don't have to stay who we were. Paul is as bold as to say, and if that is the case, then we have trampled on the blood of Christ. If this has to affect me. I've given myself so much lee- leeway throughout my relationship with Christ. I've given myself so much grace not to become a better man, but to stay in my sin. So where sin abounds does gra- and grace abounds, does that mean we can go on sinning willfully? Paul says, heck, no. Grace was to set you free from it. A last thing, and I'm going to close right here... I've always thought this, I've read this verse a hundred times. And and until I was looking at this and how I don't have to do this anymore. See, and how I don't have to live the same life anymore. That I absolutely do not have to be the same man I was yesterday. I, I was reading and it's a beautiful thing. The law, originally, it condemned us of our faults. We we're under condemnation and we know that Paul says in 8, chapter 8 of Romans verse 1 therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death right so condemnation scares us into staying where we are because we feel guilty of our sins there's a little story about a woman named Mary and Mary has been pulled into the just into front of the crowd for committing adultery right and she's dragged in front of the crowd for committing adultery and y'all know the story they're going to stone her for her sins. She's being condemned by the law for her sins. In that time, she's being condemned. And Jesus looks and He says, He who has not sinned, let them throw the first stone at this woman. If you've never messed up, then you're the one who can kill her. And everybody dropped their stones. Right? And there's a little bit more that goes on in there. But here's what I want to get at is He looks at Mary and He, and he lifts up he lifts up her face. Some translations say countenance. He lifts her up and He looks at her. And this is the most best moment you'll ever have in your life is realizing that when, when you come face to face with the Master, and she, He looks at her and He says, Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. The absence of your condemnation is your permission to move forward out of the nature of sin that you're not bound by who you used to be you're not you don't have to be condemned for who you used to be that you accept the work of the cross that took place on Calvary that he died to cover the mercy seat and the law that he died to fulfill he lived to fulfill it he justified you to move forward he justified you to no longer be the same man that the blood of the Christ does not just cover your sin up He's cast that joker away. That I can't find the old Dave even if I wanted to. And no matter what I bring up about somebody's past, it don't matter. I can smile. David says that he'll prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. So that while I'm sitting there and I'm eating good and I'm walking through this stuff, they're mad. They're upset. Because I shouldn't be here. If you knew what I did, I shouldn't be here if you knew the things that Micah has done I can't believe y'all let him in this church but he can smile he ain't got to worry about none of that because Christ has set us free and we have the ability to move forward so with that I'll close and uh, I will pray I don't know how y'all normally do it um, if somebody wants to come up after me and shut this thing down or however y'all do it that's, uh, I'll give y'all freedom but I would like to pray and seal the word of God if that's okay Oh, Jesus, uh, you, you never cease to show up. The Bible says where two or three have gathered together in your name, there you are in the midst, Father. I thank you that you're faithful to that. And I thank you that your character is consistent. That You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Father, the Word of the Lord that was released today, God, I ask that You seal it in my heart and You seal it in the congregation's hearts. That You take Your people forward so they do not have to stay in the wilderness, Father. That they do not have to stay in the, pro- in, in the hard parts that they can move forward into relationship with You. I thank You, God, that You are faithful and that You are good. And in the name of Jesus, I seal every Word of God. And I pray that it is a lasting change and that it is a spirit of con- Conviction, not condemnation. The Bible, God, your word says that the spirit of conviction produces godly repentance. So I thank you, and I give you all praise, and I thank you for your word, and it's in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Thanks, sir.